Well, hello uh, once again, and welcome to another episode of Pep Talk, the Persuasive Evangelism Podcast. I am Andy Bannister uh, from the Solas Centre for Public Christianity, based in Scotland, and I am joined as ever by my wonderful, effervescent, energetic co-host, Christy Mayer, all the way from the other end of the country down in London. Christy, how are you doing today? Hello, Andy. Gosh, I think we need to find a new adjective. <laughs> I think we have a lot. Good. Well, well, I'm doing well, thank you. Yeah, doing yeah. well. Well, you know, Christy, I'm excited because we have not, you know, there's been a bit of rugby going on recently. Well, we don't have a, we don't have a Four Nations um, podcast. We have a Three Nations podcast because I'm in Scotland, you're in England, and we are joined today all the way from Northern Ireland by uh, by Andrew Roycroft, who is pastor at Porterdown Baptist Church. Andrew, welcome. Welcome to the madness that is Pep Talk. Oh, thanks, Andy. Hi, Christy. Nice to be with you both. Well, it's really great to have you um, on the show, Andrew. So before we dig into today's uh, kind of topic and, and, and talk a bit about evangelism, particularly in your Northern Ireland context, but, but more generally uh, in, in the kind of cultural moment we are now, tell us a bit about, tell people a bit, a bit about yourself. What's it, what's it like? What do you get up to? What's it like kind of pastoring uh, where you are? Yeah, so, um, well, I uh, live in Portadown, the town of Portadown where the church is. I'm married to Carolyn and we've got two daughters, one of whom's a teenager now and the other one's uh, not quite there yet. Um, yeah, we're, we moved to Portadown in uh, April time. Uh, we had served before in Malayal Baptist up on the east coast of Northern Ireland. Um, and prior to that had been in Peru for a bit uh, for missionary work um, and then uh, in another church inland here in Armagh. So yeah, Portadown Baptist is... Um, Almost 100 years old, it'll be 100 years old next year. Um, fairly large congregation and uh, yeah, warm, friendly group situated here in Mid Ulster, which is often seen as the Bible Belt of Northern Ireland. There'll be a high concentration of, of evangelical churches in this area. Um, and it's not an area we're unfamiliar with. We've served here um, before. Portadown itself is a town of about 22,000 people um, there, thereabouts. And the Cultural identity of the town has changed quite a bit over the years. During the, the, the Troubles, there have been a lot of uh, real focal point for some of the Troubles. That's changed quite a bit in terms of there's been a lot of people come from other countries and other cultures for work, which has really changed the complexion of the of the whole town. Yeah, Andrew, you were, you were mentioning before um, before we started recording just some of um, the, the cultural context in which you're you're serving. That you're saying that to begin with, there was quite a bit of social sympathy for Christians, but that just seems to have changed recently. Um, I'd love to hear more about that. Like, what has changed, and why do you think that's happened? Mm. I think um, Northern Ireland for for years is very much seen as a you know fertile territory for the gospel. Lots and lots of churches lots and lots of, of cultural Christians and a high degree of social sympathy for the gospel here, um, quite a bit of sponsorship from local authorities, that kind of stuff. Um, that's been that's been sort of winding down quite a bit over the past number of years. I think several cultural factors have affected that. Um, some of our sad history in terms of the troubles had an insulating effect on the country. So nobody was nobody was coming here at that stage and many people were leaving. So there was tended to be polarized communities who were hermetically sealed, really, from outside influences in the world. With the with the happy cessation of all that, I think there there has been greater openness to to other cultures, other ideas, which is tremendous and, and enriching for for the community and for society. But I think that combined with mass media, combined with 
greater room to think and become perhaps more secularized and, and less entrenched in old cultural identities that were along the political divide have all fed into that that degree of more complexity in the culture now and certainly a really rising secularism at, at quite a, a fast rate. Those things, I think, have all come together to, to change the, the context that we're in, Christy. It occurs to me... Um... Andrew, I'd love your kind of sort of take on this, that there are, there's, there's both a sort of challenge and opportunity there. You know, the, the challenge, you know, I've talked to some Northern Ireland kind of friends who said that, you know, suddenly Christians are having to, you know, sort of wake up and discover things like apologetics and be able to give a reason. On the other hand, of course, when you have a Christian subculture and it's, you know, everyone just sort of assumes faith, you can get a lot of cultural Christianity going on that can kind of cause all kinds of issues in itself. So, do you see that? Do you see this as a challenge, as an opportunity, or or a bit of a bit of both as the as the culture is changing? Yeah, I think it's a bit of both. I think some doors will close that have been very wide open for the gospel over the years. So, our influence in schools, for instance, in terms of opportunities to share the gospel, has been really great, and lots and lots of room for Christian principals, Christian teachers to have pretty free expression for their faith in that context. The negative, I think, will be that as things become increasingly secularized, those opportunities might close a little bit and the gap might widen between sort of societal structures and, and church and evangelism opportunities. I, I think overall it could be a good thing because we have very little experience here of the subversive nature of the gospel or the blessing of being a minority voice, which can critique aspects of the culture. Perhaps when, when we enjoyed that social sympathy, it allowed for quiet compromise uh, with certain parts of the certain parts of our culture, whereas now those two things are, are splitting. I think it's it, it's possibly a good thing. It was interesting over the weekend, there was a there's a story came up in the news about there's a harbour wall in Port Stewart, which would be one of our main tourist attractions. And for years it has said eternity where, and then a Bible verse. And there were a lot of people sharing a news story over the weekend that the council were going to withdraw the right to have those words on the wall because it, it didn't comply with equality. Now it's council property. And I noticed lots of friends here saw this as sort of a harbinger of the end times or the beginning of persecution. And I guess the question I've been trying to push back with them on is, should we ever have expected that the council would give us their space to give our message in this culture? And perhaps this is a good wake-up call to see that things are not what they were 40, 50 years ago. And perhaps when they were that way 40, 50 years ago, that wasn't necessarily a brilliant thing for reaching out or, or being distinctive from the culture or being salt and light. Hmm. What, what do you think, Andrew, it looks like to to adjust to this shift in climate, like practically? What kind of things have, are you kind of preparing for or doing already? Hmm. I think I think there's been a there's been a context here of almost an Old Testament model of evangelism in our churches, which is come and see, you know, come to our church, come to our programs, come to our services. That still exists quite a bit, actually, probably to a surprising degree for folks who are outside of the Northern Ireland context. Um, I think that um, will have to change and we'll be forced to go and tell. We'll be forced to get out into our community um, to demonstrate the love of Christ as well as declaring the love of Christ. Those are are things that perhaps there's been too easy a pass on over the years. And I think we're going to have to really rethink you know, events evangelism, there's lots of room left here and we still do events evangelism, which is brilliant. But I do think the distinctive thing now will be preparing people to witness in the spaces they're in, 
and encouraging the church to, to get mobilized and get out and, and think of creative and imaginative ways to reach the reach the community. Hmm. Obviously, I, mean, I think one of the one of the huge opportunities for for that for that reaching out is the is the workplace. Um, you know, I often think we've got this almost untapped missionary sort of force in some ways as, as the church of men and women who are in all these different places. But sometimes I think don't speak up about their faith because they're a bit nervous and, af- and afraid. I know we were chatting before the show began that, you know, helping young professionals make connections from their work and their and their faith and then feel more confident is a thing that's on your heart. How has some of that played out, out for you? What have you what have you found has worked? How are some of the ways that you as a church have tried to equip the men and women in your church who are in the workplace Monday through Friday uh, to be salt and light, given that changing culture we've just talked about. Mm. I think we're trying to think through at the moment ways that we do that implicitly and ways that we do that explicitly, I think. Um, So I guess the implicit stuff is just integrating it into the normal life and the normal ministry of the church. So I guess growing up for me, if someone was challenged about opportunities to serve Christ from the pulpit, you know, someone was preaching on that theme, very often that was channeling human resource into the departments of the church to, to encourage people to be children's workers or you know, involved in the men's or the women's work. I, I think we communicate something in our preaching if we begin to really make that application vivid and real for where people are in the workplace. So I think there's a certain injection of apologetic material that can go into our preaching that's self-consciously saying, you know, if someone asks you about this when you're in the office tomorrow, you can talk about it in this way. Here's some tools to think this through clearly. So, for instance, in Sunday past, we were looking at, at slaves and masters in Ephesians 6 as a part of a series in Ephesians. And we tried to develop two applications. One was, of course, the kind of diagonal line, which is how do you relate to your workplace if either you're under authority or have authority. But the secondary strand of application we're putting in place was, what if someone says to you in work that Christianity propped up slavery? and endorses slavery and trying to listen to how they could think that text through so i guess that's the implicit stuff just building it in and getting people accustomed to when we talk about application it's outside of these four walls that most of that happens and then explicitly i would love to see us develop some programs here to really actually train christians about sharing their faith in the workplace we've got people here who are in key positions of leadership in the community and maybe rather than you know doing a course about how to share faith with your employees We'd be very keen to work on things like how to how to lead as a Christian. What are the Christian principles for leadership and instill that in them? Because I think that will have a, an effect by osmosis rather than by declaration in the workplace if if leaders are leading on gospel principles. That's that's really wonderful to hear, Andrew. It's such a thoughtful kind of response to the, the change in situation. A, a slight a slight segue. You mentioned earlier on. Um, that you've just been really encouraged by the art scene and poetry. Can you tell us more about that? What's 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 been going on? <laughs> and we expect an answer that rhymes, by the way, or at least stands. <laughs> and an iambic pentameter. Just give me a moment. Just give me a moment. Um, yeah, no, my my background was was literature. Um, so I studied English at, at uni up to postgrad. So that's always been a been a passion of mine. Um, I suppose the background that I came from, there was a there was a radical divorce between literary interests and Christian interests. You know, particularly Northern Ireland Protestantism wouldn't have seen a connection between its life and the arts. So, when I came into pastoral work, I probably didn't engage as much with that as I as I could have. But over the last ten years or so, for opportunities, I, I write a fair bit of poetry and would interact with the poetry of others. And there's a really warm 
seen here for poetry in Northern Ireland. There's a lot of people have begun to, I think they're, they're doing that nationwide now, aren't they? More people are, have plugged into poetry, performance poetry, all that kind of stuff over the last while. So there's quite a big community of people here who are interested in that. And fascinating, a fascinating thing about it is we tend to think of the arts as being a very liberal area, and it is. You know, there's, it's a magnet for liberal thought. But I've also found that people want to hear a Christian voice in that context. So there's been loads of... I could probably talk about this too much, so I don't want to overload you with information about this. But, yeah, just, just writing poetry, you know, submitting it, I can talk about some instances of that if it's helpful uh, and connecting with other people who are interested in poetry and finding, you know, really good opportunities just to be a Christian in that environment, which is not that not that normal, really. Yeah. Well, actually, I would love to hear you because I know when you and I when you and I met a few months ago, Andrew, we talked about that. I'd love to share a story or two. As I think what interests me particularly, obviously, poetry is a thing for you. But I think sometimes as Christians, we don't stop and think about what are our interests and our passions? You know, whether maybe it's maybe it's rock climbing or maybe it's, you know, it's art or it's something else. And we sort of don't connect that to the gospel. What I love is that you, God's given you his passion for literature and you figured out here's a way I can actually both do the thing that I love and I've been equipped to do, but also use that use that passion for the gospel. So, yeah, no, by all means, tell, tell us a bit more and perhaps sort of share a story or two of how this has created space for conversations. Yeah, I, th- I think I think there, there, there's a number of things in it for me. I think what you've talked about, Andy, is really helpful about passions and interests. And I think for me, it springs from a place of, of genuine and, and sustained passion <clears throat> for poetry and for literature. And I think that's vital. You know that <clears throat> there's that meme they have of if it's is it Steve Buscemi, you know, and he's got his cap on backwards and he's got a skateboard and it says greetings, fellow kids. You know, sometimes I think in social circles, that's what what we can look like, you know, that we commodify media. So we go into poetry so that we can talk to people about the gospel. Yeah. And our interest is synthetic, not organic. And it's forced and we suffer from imposter syndrome because we know we don't have a hard interest in it. So poetry for me is just an area that from I was in my teens onwards, I've just read poetry and written poetry. So I think there's an unforced part of that. You know, I think that there's just a natural attraction to, to writing and reading and, and hearing poetry. And, you know, what I find is a great test for it is writing poetry and submitting it to to certain journals or, or organizations here which are secular you know there's no pass for being a christian here you know it's not looking for for doggerel about christian themes it's it's looking at the world and, and trying to write poetry that's credible and i've prayed a lot about that that god would give me both you know the eye to see and the material to write and also then the opportunities to share and there's been just such great opportunities um so oh, i can think of about that andrew yeah yeah, so there's a there's a project here in Northern Ireland called the Poetry Jukebox, which is slightly mad, really, but it's brilliant. So it's a it's a poetry collective have uh, put together this machine. It looks like a ship's funnel sticking out of the ground. This large blue funnel. You probably have to use quite a bit of imagination to think what this is like. But they install these poetry jukeboxes in strategic places in Northern Ireland. So, for instance, in Belfast, it'd be in a city street. The idea is that people come along who are out shopping, who are not particularly interested in literature, and they press a button and the machine reads a poem to them. So they have a permanent installation in part of Belfast and then they move these around. So a couple of years ago, I think it was 2018 actually, uh, they they sent, they sent out like curations, like invites for submissions. 
And the one that they were doing was in C.S. Lewis Square in Belfast, which is just like an open net. Um, and the curation was called A Deeper Country, and it was um, writing on that theme. So I, I sent in some work. They had a guy in Nigeria uh, who was one of the, the judges and another local poet, and my work was accepted for it. So then it was, it was audio poetry. So that was tremendous because the theme that I wrote on was commonplaces, you know, the kind of emotional points we had in life that, that suggest there's something deeper behind lived reality. So there's loads of opportunities. There was a, a public reading where I was able to engage with other poets. Uh, there was a piece in the Irish Times, which would be sort of one of the main papers in Northern Ireland, uh, running about it, quoting some of the poetry, talking about C.S. Lewis but also personal conversations with other poets. And there's one particular poet I was talking to, and they said to me, you know, what do you do for a living? And I said, I'm a pastor, which was like a, like a, you know, it's like dropping a, a bomb into the conversation, you know. And But it immediately led to them telling me that they were an atheist and we had a really good conversation. Um, and then about, I suppose, about seven or eight months ago, they contacted me and said, you know, there's a specific thing they're facing in life. And they said... I know you pray, and when you're praying, would you pray about these issues for me, please? Which just really, you know, such a blessing that someone would come and ask that. But it was through a genuine shared interest in poetry. And I think part of that as well is promoting the work of poets who don't share your worldview. So I try to read very widely. And if there's something really good in those poetic works, highlight it, encourage it, show that there's appreciation there. And very often that it's not you're trying to open a door, but it automatically opens a door to talk about about the gospel and your faith. Does that does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, it does. And this this is probably a um, this is probably a slightly sort of odd odd question. But um, you're a pastor, you're used to you're used to odd questions, Andrew. Obviously, you, you figured out for for poetry how to make this work, and I love the story of that conversation with an atheist friend. Is there anything from that 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 you can sort of apply more more widely because I'm intrigued. I really help people think through how can you connect interests and things. If somebody's got a, a different kind of interest or whatever, what are the first steps that you might take in connecting? For you, for you, for you, it was poetry. For others, it might be say sport or or something. How how might you go about trying to you know use that to open up connections for the gospel? Yeah, I think there's a few things. I think one is. Um, Pursue authenticity. I've talked about that a wee bit already. Genuine interest. You know, don't join the ro- local rugby club to reach rugby players because you just want rugby players to be reached. But if you play rugby, go and play mm-hmm. in your local club. So I think pursuing that authenticity. I think embodying integrity as well. You know, in the Christian subculture, we sometimes give one another quite an easy pass in what we do. So that's true of literature. You know, stuff that passes as Christian literature sometimes wouldn't pass as viable literature in other contexts. So I think sort of embodying integrity. So if it's sports, training well, training hard, playing to the very best of your ability, demonstrating commitment and and a kind of transparent approach to what you're doing. I think as well then avoid privatization. And I think that's really, really important that um, we, had a, we had a guy came to us once and said, you know, could we start a badminton club in the church? And uh, we had a long conversation about it. And I said, no, I don't think we should do that. You know, um, why don't you go and join a local badminton club and and meet? Because if we start a badminton club, 95% of the people here will be Christians. And anybody who comes from the outside will be horrendously outnumbered in a strange environment. Why don't you go and be the minority there and, and show by your life that, that, you know, Christ makes sense to you and that you followed him? And I think it's it's making sure that we don't privatize things, that we don't come into subgroups. So I look at 
for instance, cycling, you know, should you start a Christian cycling club? Great idea for fellowship, complete and utter death knell for evangelism, perhaps. Whereas if you go and join a local cycle club, you might, uh, I know a Christian who's done that and he gets called the bishop, you know, because they've grasped that he's a Christian and they give him a lot of stick, but he's there in that environment. And the flip side of it is he's a brilliant cyclist and really into this. So I think, yeah, pursuing authenticity, embodying that kind of integrity and, and, trying to avoid at all costs privatizing things into the Christian subculture, but taking it out into public. Mm-hmm. Andrew, that's that's so wonderful to hear. Thank you so much for sharing your your wisdom and, and insights and particularly thinking about that subculture that you that you mentioned that takes us back to where we started really, doesn't it? I feel like there's so much more we could ask you, but sadly time is up. Um, before we before we finish though and say goodbye, I have to ask you are you the Andrew Roycroft of the uh, the small kind of booklet called Don't Panic, the Ultimate Survival Guide to Exams, something like that? Yes, so I'm yeah. Yes, wonderful. <laughs> I remember using that a lot when um, I was working for UCCF. So thank you so oh, much wow. for um, producing that resource for us all. Oh, um, check it out if you're listening and you're going oh, wow. through your exams right now. Really worth it. Um Andrew, thank you so, so much for your time. Listeners, thank you so much. Well, no, let's thank, let's thank you, Andy, Andy Bannister as well. Thank you to Andrew Roycroft. Thank you, Andy Bannister, for this, um, this great conversation. And thank you so much to, um, to you, the listeners. We'll be back in a couple of weeks' time with uh, the next episode of Pep Talk. Um, but until then, uh, we hope you have a great couple of weeks and we, we look forward to seeing you soon. Bye.